Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Biblical Studies concentration at Ozark is for those who want to study the Bible at the deepest level. Your professors will guide you in the biblical languages and explore different methodologies of interpretation. The Biblical Studies concentration will make the text come alive, saturating you in the Word so that you can be transformed by the Word. So what's the next step? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and this year we have been working our way through the track sessions from last year's National Disciple Making Forum. If you haven't already, make sure you go to discipleship.org and buy your tickets for this year's forum. It's coming up quickly, October 5th and 6th. I want to make sure I announce that. This track session today is the second one given to us by Navigators Church Ministries. Justin Gravitt, he's the Dayton, Ohio Director for Navigator Church Ministries, brought on his friend, Pastor Dave Holmes, to talk more about having a core team that really supports the mission of discipleship in your church and how you're supposed to train them to own the mission themselves to carry on the discipleship after you stop leading their groups, and also some ways that you're not supposed to do that, which I actually think sometimes stories of failure actually help me a little bit more than stories of success because it makes me feel like, man, I'm not the only one that's fumbling in this stuff around. So I hope this episode will encourage you today. Let's jump in. This is Navigators Church Ministries, and we're hearing from Justin Gravitt and Dave Holmes. Here we go. All right, we're going to start, if you guys don't mind taking a seat, and we're going to get rolling again. Thanks so much for those of you who returned. That's great. So Justin did his job, so good job. Back time, say thank you for Justin for doing a good job. Uh, if you are coming in for the first time, we are doing a kind of a track through uh, Justin's ebook. And we were giving out, if you walked out, we were giving out um, a free ebook at the uh, booth downstairs. So um, when on your way out, if you haven't gotten one of these, grab one of these. You'll just put your name and email, and they'll give you this ebook for free, which is, I guess this would be a P book since it's published, <laughs> I don't know, uh, or printed. <laughs> that doesn't roll off as well. I don't know. You can read it while, no. Um, Anyways, um, I am actually not a navigator, although I do play one while I'm at a disciple-making conference. They gave me a cool shirt, so I get to wear this. Uh, I'm actually just a pastor, like many of you. Uh, I, I was here a couple years ago, not at this location, but a different uh, church. Um, and so um, I, I'm just going to be sharing my story today, really, and kind of sharing some lessons I've learned along the way. Um, hopefully it's going to be helpful for you so that you don't have to make some of the same mistakes I did. Um, but uh, I remember a couple years ago uh, being at this conference and being in one of these breakout sessions. And it was like a room like half this size, so maybe like this. And it was kind of a packed room. And I was sitting by the wall, and there was a thermostat on just the back of the wall. And the guy who was leading it looked at me kind of in front of everybody and said, hey, we, we've been having kind of trouble with temperature in this room kind of thing. I don't think the thermostat is really working as far as what it's really going to be like. So can you kind of sit and watch the thermostat on the wall and kind of adjust accordingly as I talk? 
And so I'm like, okay, that's fine. And so from then on, it was like, it was my job, right, to do this. So I'm watching everybody in the room. I'm watching who's taking off their coats. I'm watching who's putting their coats on. I'm just kind of like, nah, you know, kind of thing. I'm, I'm owning the thermostat in the room, right? It was my job to make sure. And so the whole time I was sort of focused on the guy, but I'm just like, is it, is it too hot? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Because that's just who I am, my personality. Like if you ask me to do something, I'm going to own it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do the best job I could. So I own that thermostat. It was mine. It was my responsibility, and I did that. Now, the reason I share that story is because we're going to be talking about owning the, the vision, owning the mission, owning disciple-making. How do you get people to own it? But I have a question that I want you guys to, to wrestle with and uh, to come up with as many possible options as possible. So here's the group game we're going to play. The, we're going to give out another prize because we give out real prizes, as Justin said. Not fake prizes, real prizes here. And so in your groups, we're going to give you like just two minutes. Come up with as many reasons as you can for me owning the thermostat in the room. Does that make sense? As, I don't give you an example. So I'm gonna cheat. Give me as many reasons why I would own that thermostat. Okay? Does that make sense? All right, two minutes. Go. How many reasons? Somebody write them down. All right, who's got more than 10? You guys got more than 10? So no, only one group has more than 10? They win. We have six quality answers. Six? <laughs> All right. Are you guys curious on who's, let's, let's hear some answers here on how many, how many, by the way, did you have? 14. 14. Let's hear them. All right. Uh, desire to be liked, care for people, your own personal comfort as far as temperature, desire to please authority, uh, believe that you're better at doing this task, being in charge or in control, afraid of looking bad, anxiety. <laughs> <That's going south. laughs> this is getting dark. <clears throat> I need some help, man. History of trauma with thermostats. <laughs> I saw it down the road. I'm like, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, here I am. You dreamed of being an HVAC repair person, or you just enjoyed pushing back. Man, that's good. I think the winner, I think you guys won it right there. Good job. You guys pegged me so well. Um, yeah, I only came up with like 11. Uh, so, so here's what was my 11, right? So I was, had a clear ask. They, the guy said, hey, you, right? He didn't know my name, but you, you take care of that thermostat. So there was a clear ask, and there was a clear agreement. I said yes to it, right? So that's part of owning. Uh, I, I knew how to run a thermostat, right? I, I went to HVAC school, and I got kicked out, and, but uh, no, I'm just joking. Any, anyways, I knew how to do it. Uh, my personality type lend me the, just the notion to owning that thermostat. I, I just, I'm duty-bound, very responsible person. Uh, my word is my bond kind of thing, so my personality played a lot into that. 
Uh, I had success in the past of running thermostats. I, I was successful at my own house running the thermostat and fighting my children with it. Um, I was personally invested. I was in the room. So this is going to in impact me, affect me. Uh, I knew other people were counting on me. So this wasn't just about me, but other people were going to be impacted. Uh, I had help. If I knew something went wrong, I had help, right? So I, I felt like I could say yes to it because at the end of the day, it, you know, uh, there was an HVAC guy down the road if I really couldn't do something about it. Uh, I was there anyway. I just had to kind of change my awareness. I had to kind of change my, what I was viewing and perception and all that kind of thing. Just, just a change of awareness, but I was there anyway, so why not say yes? Um, I was given both responsibility and authority or decision-making power. Because how frustrating it would be to say you're responsible for the thermostat, but you, you can't have any control over the thermostat. Have anybody been there in a job where you were given responsibility but not decision-making power? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So when you have both, that helps with ownership, right? And I knew I was going to be making a difference in the room. I was going to be helping the speaker out. It wasn't going to be something of a distraction if I could keep that temperature just right, right? So, so those were my 11. I thought I was an overachiever with 11, but man, 14. Well done. So the reason I bring that up, again, because we're going to be talking about ownership today. That's what Justin asked me to, to speak on, is how, do we, how did I help get our people to really own the, the vision, own the mission, own uh, not just disciple-making, but owning the fact that they were now on a core team, right? And if you weren't here last session, we are talking about this whole idea of being on a core team and helping uh, just your church... Uh, create a core team, create a foundation so that ultimately you are going to be able to change the culture of your church. And so I uh, want to reference back to, if you weren't here, the core team is really where it starts in this whole other process of reaching the nations for Jesus, right? That's, that's what my heart is. That's what I know all of your guys' hearts, ladies' hearts are, is reaching the nations for Christ. So how do we do that, right? And so I'm, getting, I'm just going to share my story um, I'm not a pro at this. I'm just, I'm just trying, to, trying to do it. I'm just trying to do it. And, uh, and so my story starts with uh, Act 1. What's a navigator? Right? Because I didn't know what a navigator was. You guys, you guys all know what navigators are? No? Okay. So I, I was like, so, so Justin comes into my church one Sunday morning, and he just sits in the back. And we were about a church of 150 at that time. And so he just kind of sits in the back and and uh, I noticed him, but I didn't really get a chance to meet him, didn't really talk to him. I don't think we even talked on that Sunday. Uh, my executive pastor talked to him, and Justin gave him his card and said, here's what I do. And, and so my executive pastor actually went out to have lunch with you or coffee or something, talked to Justin. And he came back and said, hey, Justin is offering his kind of services, and I think it would be good for us to meet together as a staff team. And so I said, okay, I trust my executive pastor. His name's Ned. I said, great, so let's meet. And that first meeting was very interesting with Justin and I. It didn't go really well uh, in the sense of he came in and was kind of giving his pitch as far as what they do, what a navigator was. And I thought, are you guys like, because I saw a boat and a sail. I'm like, are you guys like sailors? Like, what are you guys doing? And so he was trying to explain this and trying to explain disciple making. And in my context, I really did not grow up with disciple making. I, you know, the discipleship was a buzzword. It's always been a buzzword. But um, I've only had guys mentor me, uh, 
guys who made themselves available. If I had a problem, they would come and just, you know, say, let's talk this problem out. But there wasn't a lot of intentionality, a lot, not a lot of relationship beyond that. And so when Justin came in, he was, he was saying, listen, uh, here's, here's what I do with churches, and here's what I would like to do with your church. And uh, that part I liked, uh, but when Justin came in, he was kind of, can I share this part? He, guns hot. Guns hot, right? And, and uh, he was like quoting verses at me, like, and he's like, you know what Isaiah 34, 6 says, right? And I was like, no. And then he was like, quote the verse. And I'm like, are you just showing off, you know? And come into my church and start showing the pastor off. And like, you know, I'm like, I'm smart too. I know the Bible. And so I was kind of defensive and I was kind of pushing back. And, you know, because here's a strange guy coming into my church going, I think I can help your church. I'm like, I, you know, I didn't know if I needed help, but okay. And so we kind of had a little bit of a friction at, at the first meeting. And so the second meeting, he had me just for coffee and uh, at, at a Panera. And he said, hey, you know, let's talk about that last meeting. And he kind of called me out on some stuff. And I was like, oh, this is, this is kind of refreshing in the sense of here's a guy who can challenge me. And uh, he pushed back on all the right ways. And um, so that we started developing a relationship. And through that, uh, we made this agreement with Justin. And he, we signed like a three-year agreement. He had me sign in on my own blood and promised to give my firstborn son away. But uh, it was... It was an agreement that, again, I'm just my personality type. If I'm agreeing to something, I'm going to stick with it. And so that's just me. And so the agreement was he was going to start helping out our church, which meant that him and I were going to meet every week, every other week. And at off weeks, he was going to meet with us as a staff. And so as a staff, we started meeting with Justin. And then the off weeks, he would then meet with me personally to kind of, kind of a little bit fill me in on the backside of here's why we're doing stuff with the staff and a little bit more just developing the relationship. And so that was uh, like a six-month stint, right, of, as far as doing that. And so we built trust, and he was beginning to disciple me because, again, I had really no picture of what personal, relational, Jesus-style disciple-making really looked like. And so he helped begin to give me that kind of context. And so uh, he then, again, began to work with our staff as well. So we had an executive pastor and a youth pastor, and it was the three of us and Justin that were, that were meeting. And we would go through what I just handed out, the way of a long cider. And I make that joke that uh, that was to help us drink the Kool-Aid of disciple making. And that's a, probably a bad joke. But uh, it's, it's a way that he was helping develop a heart for it. That's what he was doing with us. And so that began to form in my life, a heart for disciple-making, a heart for people in a, in a brand new way that I never had before. So uh, Justin got us focused on that, um, and he encouraged me to start, you know, basically starting to disciple other people, which I started to do. But then he introduced me to this whole thing about a, a core team. And I was like, okay. And he says, I want you to lead a core team. I'm like, I just got kind of started with this whole thing, right? And I said, what's a core team? Act two. And I had no idea. And as he was talking about a group, that's my picture. In fact, I went through our, my email to the first core team members, and I pitched it as, this is going to be like a life group, guys. So don't go into your life groups, like our small groups. Just, just don't do a small group this, this season of life. I want you to be a part of this thing because it's going to be like a group. I had no idea of really the concept of team. So when he emphasizes that, that team thing, and it, it just did not stick with me and just did not click for a very long time. I'm still kind of, I think, Again, it's not developing that. that. Told. It's just like we said last workshop, we will revert back to what we know. And yeah. that's the language we'll use. Right. And so, 
So Justin said, okay, we need to create a core team. And I said, okay, and well, who do I pick? Who do I pick for that? And so that was a challenge for me. And so I want you guys to, to think about this because here's the thing. I mean, do you pick younger people? Because younger people tend to be more teachable, not always, but tend to be more teachable. Uh, younger people maybe have more energy, more desire for relationships. Do you pick some older people? I mean, older people are great because they have the wisdom, the maturity. Maybe they you know, are empty nesters and, and they have more free time. Uh, do you pick introverts? who are maybe better with relational one-on-one, or do you pick extroverts who are more energetic and relational in the sense of they're, they're gatherers of people and they don't mind you know, you know, making that ask, hey, can I disciple you? Uh, you, know, do you? Do you pick uh, singles? Do you pick married couples? Do you have both couples, both people in the core team? Do you have just one of them in the core team? I mean, lots of questions that I was wrestling with on who to ask, because if this was gonna be the foundation of the church, then of, court, of, of the culture building, I mean, this is gonna be a big deal. And so uh, I'm gonna be investing, and this was gonna be for the next year and a half to two years of my life with these people. Who do you pick? So I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to kind of think of, here's the question, who would you choose? Like, give me a description of the people that you think would be the kind of the best people that you would choose. And here's another question, how many do you start with on a core team? How many would you start with? So I'm just gonna give you like two minutes to, uh, to talk about that in your groups, and then we'll, we'll get some answers, okay? I know, I'm already losing my voice. All right, guys, what'd you guys come up with? Let's popcorn the answers real quick. What'd you guys come up with? Who would you pick? People with a passion for disciple making. A passion for disciple making. It's just a spark. You know, to I got it. I want to see that they 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 at least see that this is a direction we need to go in. Okay. All right. What else? Someone who's faithful, available, and teachable. Okay. Yep, we definitely thought about those. The fat people. There's also faith people with the I initiative and heart, but that's another one. Yep, what else? Between team and group. A team is invasive. Okay. In other words, you don't have the freedom to make decisions based on it. You're, you're gonna meet, you're gonna meet. Yeah. You're part of the team. You don't have recitals, it, 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 that's the difference. So committed people? It has to be yeah. full commitment. Full commitment, right? So you're looking for committed people. Someone who's uh, got a high level of uh, trust in me as a leader, um, even though they don't agree with me all the time. Okay, so trust. They have to they have to know that you, where you're taking them is a good place. Good. Yeah. On the heels of that, it would be a mistake to pick somebody, a group of people that always agree with you all. Okay, so you don't want everybody to say yes, people, right? Okay. If I'm if I'm starting out and I'm discipling, you know, with skills and stuff. Uh, I always think about, I can't out-disciple Jesus. So I'm not likely to, to try to do 15 or so. If he went with 12, sure, um, it's, that's going to be an upper limit for me. Okay. Uh, in, until there's more disciple makers in that team to Okay. Help. Yep. So that's the second part of the question is how many. And so you're saying, what's the number? Like no more, like 10 would be probably be the 10? Okay. upper limit. Yep. How about picking the person in the church that knows the most verses? Yes. <laughs> right? Because you already got that checked off the box, right? I think you 
because he has to have, uh, the people that you're inviting in have to have walked a certain distance. They have to have completed something because they can't lead other people where they haven't gone. So there has to be some level of maturity, right? They have some to standard. Have experienced yeah. What, they, therefore, what they're trying to equip right. other people right. or whatever that may be. So they don't have to be the best, but they have to have the heart for what they're doing. That's, that's one of the key things I look for is who has the heart and the passion to do this particular thing. Okay. They have already had this, been through that. They have to have demonstrated that particular thing. Okay. All right. So a demonstration of, of uh, discipling others or a demonstration of just being a disciple for a while? Or completing, committed to completing what they, they want to take other people to. So you see pastors will often, or leaders will tell people to go do things they don't do themselves, nor have they done themselves. Right. You know, I was saying as an evangelist, when I'm trying to invite people to come back to equip the saints to share their faith, I look for somebody who's completed a, an equipping time or a training time and then therefore have a heart. They've demonstrated their, their love for this, regardless of how great they are at it. Right. They're willing to then pour into someone else to help them to take that yeah. step. So, yeah, leaders, I think we fail all the time by not demonstrating because we haven't been there. Mm. We haven't done it. So I think that's a key element to inviting somebody onto the team because they know what okay. they've experienced. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Some good. Some experience, great. I would want it to be probably someone that I've discipled. And I've worked with them over a period of time and seen all these things we're talking about. I've seen their passion. I've seen that they are understanding the process as opposed to announcing we're going to have this. We're now going to have a disciple-making sure. program. You know, Not a program. Rather than that, it's not a program. Not a program. Right? So we start with grassroots. Okay. So you would want to disciple each person first before you even create a well, core team. Is that what you're the, saying? The leadership team. I'm just thinking out loud because okay. I've tried to do things like this before. Where sure. We start something and it gets some traction for a while and then it kind of dissipates. Yeah. As yep. opposed to, okay, this is this this is a a core. It's what Jesus told us to do, right? Yeah. And, and so. It's I'm, tough. I'm it's tough. I'm thinking I'd like to, to, for it to be more of a grassroots thing and out of that would come. Yep. Yep. Okay. So. This is a tough. This is a tough decision, right? And and just because you may have somebody in mind too, they may say no, right? I had some of that. I'm like, I think you would be really good, and they're like, I, you know, because I pitched it as, hey, this is a big commitment, and this is going to be some expectations, you know, as far as we're going to give you work to do, and you're going to be discipling others, you know, after this, this is going to be like a lifestyle change for you for the rest of your life, kind of thing. So who's in? And not everybody was in. So that was that was difficult. Um, I, I made clarify. So, following up on this over here, you're inviting people rather than just making announcement. Anybody? Exa I am hand picking this team. I am not saying anybody want to join. Just like I don't encourage people to say anybody need disciple. Just come and you know. I'm. I want to find the faithful, reliable, you know, people. Second Timothy two two. I want to before I start, you know, kind of thing. So yes, it if is. You make an announcement, and people are not really informed about the subject. They're going to. They're right. not going to make a distinction between discipleship and disciple. Exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. So no, no, no. This is this is. I'm not trying to again. Not trying to keep it a secret, but I'm certainly not just saying anybody and anybody kind of thing. This is your core team. You got to be thoughtful and strategic about this. Right. Okay. Um, so how many do you guys think? So I heard ten. What else? What other numbers do you guys think would be? Maybe for your ideal number to start with. Six? Okay. Eight? All right. Okay. Three or four? 
this man's been been down this road. He knows. He knows. Now, so, right, okay. So I chose. So I picked, and um, I, I picked, um, I, try to, I try to do a mix. You know, I try to do half and half, men and women. I try to pick, like, half and half as far as maybe introverts, extroverts. I try to pick, uh, you know, a little bit younger and have some a little bit older just to try to get a mix of there. Uh, I had some couples come, and just to, before, if I don't say this, I have not had any success when both husband and wife are doing this with me. Maybe this is just my church, maybe this is the couples that I picked, but I have not had success. One may, in the sense of both of them keeping with me, right? One may keep with me, but usually it's been one is growing, the other one is just kind of coming along because it's the spouse's thing, and then it actually creates a little tension as far as, aren't you doing the work? No, you know, kind of thing. So I just have not had success with that. But that's just a little extra bonus that's free. So, um, so I picked 10. I picked 10 because I thought Jesus had 12. I'm no Jesus, but I, I, need, to, I need to get this rolling, you know. So let's go with 10. And uh, it, it um, jump in. So yeah. One of the two principles here. So we want to have a good cross section of the church. Yeah. Right? So age, gender, uh, ethnicity, good cross section represented. The other thing on numbers is the pastor needs to be checking in with his team members in between the meetings. And so we tell pastors, all right, each member of your, of your team needs a conversation from you at least once a month, a personal conversation. Now, that doesn't mean you have to set up another meeting with them. It could be before or after the service. But you need to have at least five to ten minutes available for that conversation where you're looking them in the eye, asking about how things are going for them on the team, so that they have the opportunity to express to you how it's going on the team. Most of the time, most of them are great, doing fine. But when they're not doing great, you got to have time to walk alongside and set up that next meeting to unpack what's going on for them and to help them through those obstacles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, hold on a second. So, um, kind of jumping ahead, but let me just, I did not do this, okay? I did not do this well at all. And the first, I, I, the first time we did this, I had twins. Like, so I had four boys, and my, my wife had twins right when we started this whole kind of thing. So not the best timing to do this. Uh, but I completely failed miserably at meeting with these people individually. And I'm still reaping the consequences of that. Because I'm still having some of my first rounders here uh, telling me we're not really even kind of sure what to do. They just didn't have that relational piece. And I didn't get a chance to really develop their heart and, and work on character development with them uh, in a way that is only really one-on-one. -on -one. It was still all in the group format. And so I'm still paying the price for not investing relationally, intentionally that way individually with them, um, with that first team. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. 
He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple-makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So I see that all over. When, when the teams don't take and they don't work, um, most of the time, one of the things that's happened is the pastor has not followed through on that, on that side of it, that once a month check-in uh, with their people. Yes. And right. you're catching, because Dave's alluded, um, Dave has done three of these teams and he's learned lessons, right, from each iteration. Yes. So I made the ask to these 10 people, uh, why do you think they said yes? Why would people say yes to this team? And this is just a real quick popcorn. Why would people jump in to something like this? Because I'm the pastor, right? Like, I'm asking. I wish that was the case more in our church. But, uh, I, no. Uh, yeah, so I'm the pastor. This is something new. I'm asking you to jump in. You know, going back to the whole thermostat thing, the people who are responsible, the people who are, you know, feeling like, okay, I can, you know, if you're asking me, I'll do it. The duty-bound people. And so I had people doing out of duty. Yeah, what other? Right, right. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're supposed to do. I'm supposed to make disciples, Matthew 28. They think they're special. Okay, they, hey, this is not everyone's getting asked by this. I'm honored by this. How could I say no? Right, I get that. Yeah. Okay, they're sitting at home doing, not doing anything, maybe. I don't know. But they're craving relationship. They want more involvement relationally. Yes. What else? They believe in the mission. Yep. They, they, they see that, and they're going to jump in. Personal and specific. Right. I asked them personally. I was a specific ask, just like the thermostat. And so, yep, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? They really don't have any clue. Right, and if they had a clue, maybe they wouldn't say yes. But it was. I was going to ask, do you are you just starting cold with all of them, or are you prepping them before you ask them so that they make an intelligent answer? So again, I had no idea either. Let's be honest. I had no idea either what I was really getting into. I was just trusting Justin, like he was going to be walking with me. It's my fault. <laughs> What Dave means by that is, as a very young disciple maker, he could hear me talk about what this was, but he wasn't very far down the road himself yet, and so he could only explain as much as he could absorb, and the invitation's got to come from him, not me, and so we would craft it together, but then the delivery was, you know... It, and it was a rough delivery. I, I looked back at the email again. I had, I had emailed them instead of personally talking with them individually. And so then he chastised me on an email, which I love. And so, what are you doing? Emailing? You're supposed to go talk to them. You can't email. And I was like, oh, I'm blowing it already. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's uh, that was the hard part, like for for that, right? So you want to provide specifics. Yes. And so. What I, I tried to explain, we're going to be doing this for a year and a half. I'm going to be trying to teach you how to make disciples, the first part of this, and help you develop a heart. And then the second half of this, I'm going to encourage you to go out and start making disciples, and we'll be there to help coach and things of that nature the second half of this time. So just kind of like a two-year commitment almost. Um, so just plan on that. So that's as much as I could explain to them at that point. So, and so they agreed. 
um, for different reasons. And, I, and you come discover that later on. You really don't know those reasons until later on, until push comes to shove, and you find out, oh, they're only doing this out of duty kind of thing. And their really heart's not into it. They're just duty bound. And so those people tend to fade away over time as well if you don't capture their heart eventually. Okay, so, so. Some fade away, but are you also adding others? Okay. So, so at the end of the day, I started with 10. Um, and I would say out of that 10, I maybe may had four people actually going out and start discipling others after this whole thing was over. Okay. So four out of 10, right? So leads me to act three. If at first you don't succeed, because I was kind of like going, man, I kind of failed four out of 10. That's a failing grade in school. At least that's my school. Right. So today, I don't know. It's, 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 they lowered the bar, but at first you don't succeed. So after the first core team, I thought, well, I'm now, my twins are a little bit older and I could give this another run. I could try this again because another thing I did not, not understand and I did not get into their hearts and heads is that we are a team. This was more, I was trying to equip them to make disciples who make disciples. I had not even thought about this whole idea of team as well as I should have with them. And so they weren't acting as a team. They weren't trying to create a culture yet. They were just trying to struggle through making disciples themselves, right? And so, so we had four people starting to do that. Um, now, the good news out of that first, uh, I should say this too, my youth pastor and his wife were part of that first team. And the youth pastor and his wife took it into the youth group, and it caught on fire far more than it did in the rest of our church. And I think that's you know, easy to understand. Young people are much more relational, much more teachable, much more free time. You know, I think that's why Jesus picked young guys to do this. You know. And so that caught on, which was great. But of our adults, it really wasn't, wasn't you know, catching on as, as well. So I thought, let's try this again. And I've learned some lessons, and hopefully we can, we can get this thing going again. So I call this you know, Core Team 2.0. And so... Who do I invite? You know, so I re realized my first team, those people who are socially, you know, have social awkwardness and social anxiety, those guys, they didn't seem to, to last very long. So I'm like, I'm just going to like go straight extrovert kind of thing a lot more than my introverts. Um, and that really wasn't, those aren't really predictors, right? It's not really introvert versus extrovert um, at the end of the day, young, old, those, all those things really cannot be your your, your measuring bars, because it, they will surprise you. Your introverts will surprise you. Your extroverts will surprise you. So I tried Core Team 2.0. And if you remember, if you were here the first hour or the first time, Justin said creating a core team was difficult, right? That was like the understatement of the century when he said that. I was over there going, are you just using the word difficult? I mean, it is so hard. This is so hard. And I wish I knew how hard this was. Uh, because of so many reasons we don't have time to get into. So I thought, we're going to try this again. Um, and I thought, okay, I, I, I knew my mistake the first time, and I'm not going to make that same mistake the second time. I'm going to walk with these people. But I picked, I think, 10 more people, because, again, I only had four. I didn't, I'm trying to change my church, and I'm getting not any younger. So I picked 10 again or so, and, um, I, and I did not learn my lesson. I did not walk with them intentionally and relationally as much as I should have, even the second round. Like, I don't know if I'm just in really, I'm a slow learner, I think I know that, but it just, I just wasn't doing it. And here's the thing about disciple making. It really puts a mirror uh, up to you and it shows you your weaknesses. 
like in ways that you never thought you would ever see. And I realized I'm, I have such a hard time walking with people. I love to tell them, here's how to get started. I love helping them finish projects. But in between, I, that's a struggle for me. I'm like, I told you how to do it. I showed you how to do it. Now go do it. You know, I don't want to walk with you all, every step of the way. I'm not a micromanager. I'm not a big guy like, you know, like keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm just not that way wired personally. Uh, and that's my downfall with this as far as core team 2.0. I didn't do that again. Um, so mistakes are made. Um, but out of that, I think I got three or four more people, three or four more people. And so the lesson learned, and I was still discouraged by the end of all this. And so the lesson is don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. It is hard. It is hard. It is hard. And we learn and hopefully learn as we go. We're going to fail, but we're going to fail forward. We're going to learn things. And one is better than none. If I had one disciple maker with me in the church, it is better than none, right? And if I had three, it's even better than that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I comfort myself with the idea that Jesus didn't have a 100% success rate. Exactly, right? So we can, we can say, yeah. okay, right, that's a good point. Jesus had one fail to. Uh, did more than that. <clears throat> You could look at it that way too, yeah. So here's, here's the error of my ways. Um, I continually underestimate the time needed with each person. I continually under, underestimated that. And I wasn't willing to block off the necessary time to invest well early on to lay a right foundation. This is the foundation. You, you can't over-invest in this, in my opinion. I mean, you can't spend too much time with these people. Uh, these are, these are going to be your core people. So, feeling a little bit discouraged, a little bit frustrated, um, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a golfer. Team is not really a thing that we really focus on, right? Uh, I was part of a golf team, but it was just like, you go shoot your own score and come back on the bus and you know, brag about your score kind of thing. That was kind of team. And so, uh, Justin challenged me, hey, we need, to, we need to still build this core team. So what I did was um, I took the people who were making disciples from our 1.0, I took the people uh, who were doing 2.0, and I grabbed a couple other people who I knew was actually doing disciple making in our church, and I said, let's make a team this time. And this was the nice part. They were already making disciples by this time. I didn't have to go through the training the first half. I didn't have to go through all that stuff. It, they were doing it, and so we could really focus on team by this time. And that was, I think, one of the big helpers. So um, we, got a, we have a team now of about 10, and I called them together and said, you know, let's, let's, let's do this as a team. And I really realized how much I needed this team. I could not change this through a sermon series or multiple sermon series. I could not do this through just my own personal beating the drum. I needed help really badly, more than I ever thought I needed to. And so... I express this to this team. I want this to be a team. I want you guys to, to help me make decisions that will impact our church. And so they agreed, and, and we formed this, this 3.0 team. And now we're running. Now we're running. We started recognizing as the card game, if you guys were here for the card game, we need some rules to play by. We need some agreements to go by as far as what this team is going to be. So this is the core team that we have now. Actually, added just one more member here not too long ago, so she's not on this, but... Uh, the top left corner, that's actually Justin's dad. I got Justin's dad on my team. So how cool is that, right? First time he's been making disciples. Yeah. About a year ago. Yeah. And he's awesome. He's discipling two guys right now. It's fantastic. 
Yeah, so Scott and, and uh, Katie, these two, these two, uh, these two people were from my L, L, or, uh, core team 1.0. Um, these two were from my 2.0. She discipled her, so we brought her on. Uh, my youth pastor's wife discipled her, so she was on. And uh, Kevin works for Athletes in Action, and, and he has been disciple-making experience, so we jumped in, you know, brought him on as well. So it was kind of a hodgepodge of, of sorts, and so we brought them on. And one of the first things we said, okay, if we're going to be a team, we need, we need some agreements. Like, we need to agree upon what are we doing here. And so we came up with these agreements, and they're in your notes. Uh, we said we're going to commit to making our monthly team meetings the second and fourth Sundays of each month a high, high priority. This means we will come prepared and be on time. If we cannot, we will let the team know. It's not going to be emailing the pastor. We're going to be emailing the whole team to know why you can't come. So this kind of creates a little bit of accountability in the sense of I got to tell everybody that I'm only I'm missing this because I have, you know, whatever excuse, right? So that kind of puts a little bit more pressure on them. We commit for the sake of relational depth and team effectiveness to make our team meeting a safe and encouraging environment where vulnerability, transparency, accountability, and confidentiality are fostered. And by the way, they, they came up with these statements. I did not do this. This was a whole team effort. And it took a while. It took a few different meetings to get this down. We commit to modeling, promoting Jesus-style disciple-making, especially for those in our church. And finally, we commit to applying the principles discussed at our meetings as well as connecting with our team members outside our meeting times for the sake of encouragement and accountability. So we agreed on this is the rules we're going to play by. And then we said, okay, what are we really doing? What's the goal? And so we came up with our mission statement to propel ordinary church attenders to become impassioned Jesus-style disciple makers. That's a little bit of our vision language. Part of our vision statement says we want to take ordinary church attenders and help them become extraordinary disciple makers. So that's why that kind of language is in there. Because the church is really great at making church attenders, aren't they? I mean, that's what we've, that's, that was my business for a long time. I'm going to make church attenders. And now we have to shift that to disciple makers. And by leading by example, providing support, and creating lasting disciple making culture. So we took a team, uh, our team of 10 or 11 or so, and then we divided them up. And so... Heart, vision, skill are the three kind of big strands of disciple-making. And we said, okay, some of you are going to be in the heart team, some of you are going to be the skill team, some of you on the vision team. And we want you to run with that and start making decisions as far as what we're going to do as a church, how we're going to promote this, what are we going to talk about it, when are we going to talk about it. Um, they're making videos now. They're, uh, they're, I mean, it's just all over the place uh, as far as starting to pump this out. This is the yeast that is working through the dough now of our church. Um, so, lesson learned is this. Give them uh, decision-making power. Your decision-makers need to be your disciple-makers in your church. Your decision-makers need to be your disciple-makers. This is what going, kind of going back to the whole ownership, leadership thing. But the more disciple-makers are your decision-makers, the more you can change the culture of your church and the faster you can do it. Because they get it. They understand what you're trying to do. Um, the vision that, that we're giving people that we, we talk about is, we, I had an above-ground swimming pool growing up. Anybody else have an above-ground swimming pool? They were the bomb. Because one thing you could do in an above-ground swimming pool is that you start running around one way, what happens to the water, right? Well, nothing if it's by yourself. But if you get a group of people start running around the same direction, you can start creating this, this current 
And if you get it going fast enough, you can just kind of start picking up your feet and that current will start taking you around and around. And that was really fun in the summertime with, you know, that was just what we did. This is before internet, I guess, but uh, <laughs> this is what we did. And this is the vision that we have for people. We want enough people to begin running around our pool to create a current where if, if you come in, you're going to be kind of swept towards disciple making. Like you're going to have to fight against it to, to not be a part of this whole thing. That's, that's creating a current or a culture in our church. And so I need to get enough people running with me. And that core team is that, you know, that critical mass to get things started. Um, so, right? He's looking at me at time. Uh, last point. The cool thing now is I have people in rooms helping to change the temperature where I'm not, where I'm not at. I have my core team leaders, also my small group leaders, and my Grace Kids workers, and my Youth Connect, my youth group, student ministries, there and there. They're changing the temperature because they own it now. And I don't need to be there. I can, I can keep focusing on you know, other things and as, as far as casting more vision for disciple making, but I don't need to be in each room to try to adjust the temperature and run over here. I have help now, and it's changing the whole thing at our church. So. Let me just share a story to illustrate that. So it was about a year ago he had shared a sermon on disciple making and somebody in the church had said, oh, it seems really programmatic and he'd heard about it and then he was talking to me and he was a little discouraged about his sermon. And I said, Dave, this is great. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, how'd you hear about that? Well, Katie told me. Katie's one of the girls on the team. And I said, well, you have a team because what happened? She not only told you but she told that person, oh, no, this isn't programmatic. This is about relationships and said the things that Dave would have said to that person if that person would have said it to Dave. And now there's a team of those people in the church that that's part of the power of having a core team, right? Is we're multiplying our influence and there are disciple makers who are leading, not just disciple makers, disciple making leaders in the culture who are singing the same song, speaking the same language, and pushing everything forward so that it all doesn't have to come out of the, the lead pastor, right? Because as you guys know, the lead pastor feels like you gotta do everything, right? And if there's so many things that if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. Well, if you have a team on disciple making, you don't have to be the one to do it all the time because you have other people that are also pulling and pushing and, and communicating in the culture. So I asked my team, core team, before coming to this, what was it really that, that got you to own? Like, when, you, when did you realize you finally owned this? Like, own disciple making, right? And, and their response was, it really wasn't until we actually discipled somebody and, and found some success in it kind of thing. I thought, that's interesting. So that's what my key takeaway is, that they won't see themselves as disciple makers until they see themselves successfully making disciples. Like, when does a business start to become a business? Not when they buy the building and got all the parts and stuff. A business really doesn't come see themselves as a business until that first dollar is made. And so the point is, you have to walk with them probably a lot longer than you may think to help them until they finally start having success, some success in disciple making. And then they go, oh, I can do this. I'm capable. And I, I, I'm owning it. Right. And that's another piece of that thermostat thing. I, I know I have some, some success. I know how to do this. I've done it. And I, and I, that's who I am now kind of thing. And it takes a long, longer time than, than most of us 
realize. Yeah, and Justin has been doing that with me. He's been walking with me for six or seven years. Who would have thought after signing a three-year agreement? <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I can't get rid of him. But uh, no, uh, he's, he's, he's like, hey, we, until we have really a lot more success, I'll, I'll, I'll keep with you. So questions, yes. Have you seen a dynamic where <clears throat> members of the same family are discipling one another? For example, like my sister-in-law is a part of our congregation. Mm -hmm. So how does that work when there is a family relationship dynamic? And is it an issue? I wouldn't say, um, so yes, so as far as have you seen disciple making happen within the, in families? So are you thinking like mom discipling daughter or son, or are you thinking like as far as? So where's the church plan? Yes. So one of our members Yes. I haven't had much of that, I guess experience. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I, I can see it going yeah, either way. Layer yeah, yeah, into for sure. Yeah. Right. It's not impossible. Not impossible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen, you know, because sometimes people don't don't work out for the core team. Have have you seen just in any examples of like, OK, give me six months. And then you know you have a have an easy out to like reassess like hey is this is this working out versus hey you're here and then you just kind of filter you know just kind of peter out has anybody tried something like that has that so you're asking if anybody's tried it on the leadership side or on the well like on the on the core on the core team side yeah have, have a invite somebody on a core team and say hey you know like a six month an off ramp exactly. There are off-ramps, but normally we're walking with them. And so we if we're not walking with them, then it's hard to know, are they just leaving an uncomfortable situation? Or is there something legitimate that they probably do need to step up for? If it's we want to push them and help them move through hard things to become a disciple maker, and so sometimes that's the appropriate response. Other times it is, yeah, I think probably it seems like God's leading you not to be a part of this moving forward. But as that's it has to become a team discussion then too, right? Because if we're a team, right, they have relationships with others on the team. And I don't want a situation where, oh, well, Sean's just no longer, we don't know where he is, he hasn't come anymore. And I don't want to brief it and say, well, Sean's not going to be a part of us anymore. Uh, he has some things he's dealing with, we've agreed. I mean, that's one way to do it. But if I want to enhance relationships together and promote, no, we're in this together, we're owning it together then I want to invite Sean, Sean, can we have this conversation with the team? And if he's comfortable, we do. If he's not, Sean, can I have this conversation with the team on your behalf then? And here's how I would co communicate it, right? So that people know. So yeah, there are times when that needs to happen. And for his core team, the, the addition that he has now, there are um, off ramps in the future because they are pulling together and they're a team. But, you know, this isn't a lifetime commitment, right? You don't have to die to get off the team. And so we say, well, okay, well, let's have that conversation every six months. We will have that conversation together. If you're feeling like it's time for you to step off, then we want to help you do that. But we also ask that you find somebody to take your place, right? Because if they're owning it and they're discipling, 
and they're discipling as a team. They should know people in the in the community and the culture that we're in. Well, who might be a good fit for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave. Um, I'm just wondering if, if there's a person in your church who knows about your core team and they haven't been selected, right? And they they've been praying about it, and, and they they say, "Well, Dave, I feel led to be a part of your core team." What do you tell them? <laughs> um. So yeah, so if somebody wants to be a part of the core team and feels led to be a part of the core team, that would be a discussion as far as are you discipling? Um, are, do they fit with the where we're going as a core team? Are we ready to take anybody on at this point? I mean, there's different aspects. I would say, thanks for your consideration. Let me keep you in mind next time we're we're looking to add somebody on. We're not really looking to add anybody on at this point, but I'll let you know when we are kind of thing. So I would I would be open to it, but. Maybe, and that, I'm always open to that, you know, and God has always opened and closed doors where I need to kind of, you know, he'll, he'll slap me in the face if I need to wake up and do something. But, uh, yeah, so that's part of it. But uh, we really want to protect the integrity of this core team. So I'm hesitant just to bring anybody on at any time. Um, as you know, like in a life group, if you just start bringing new people in every week to a life group, that changes the dynamic each week, and that's, that's a whole different ball game. So... Uh, we have on-ramps and off-ramps, and so that's just a part of it. So, yep, I, I'm not saying no. I'm just saying maybe not right now, right? Yeah, and or an elder, yeah, yeah, yep. Sure. Right. Just because we have a desire doesn't mean we need to act on that desire right away or, it's, you know, kind of things. But I would be I would be prayerfully considering the, the idea. But, yeah, I wouldn't have to feel like I got to do this just because they feel led to be on here. Right. We got to protect the team. Exactly. Right. I, I'm not saying no. I'm just not saying right now. Right. So. Have you ever added someone during, I guess, you know, I guess I think about it, if you have 10 people and then two people leave. Right. We don't add them back on. All right. Or no. do you add anybody else on or do you just run the course? I, I would I would usually run the course. Um, yeah. So you don't add new members Again, to any group? Or, so, yeah, I'm just thinking through, like, even the creation of a new team, it, everyone knows or everyone comes in at the same time. Is what exactly. Know. Right. Yep, yep. Uh, since the purpose of the core team is to, as I understood from the first session, to transform the culture of the church, do you ever reach the point if the culture of the church has been transformed where you no longer need the core team? You probably are the one more experienced with this. So. Yeah, uh, no, you don't. In fact, that's something we've learned the hard way. We have had core teams that have done really well, and then they're kind of like, all right, we feel like we've. We've done a lot, and it's, the culture has changed. You can see disciple-making in every facet of the culture. The core team stops meeting. They still are relating however they're relating. Um, but what we learned that, that way is that the culture no longer had somebody driving uh, other than the pastor, and so it was a slow decline like that. And so I would not, I, w I don't want to see that ever again. So and at some so, point, the, the, the focus would shift from building to sustaining, I guess, what you've achieved. Correct. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the conversation changes. Right, and so we're already seeing that in ours as far as like, we have people raising their hands saying we need disciple and being disciple. And so these relationships are forming outside the core team, right? In the church, what we want to see. And so our core team now can start being coaches and, you know, kind of things to help these new start disciple-making relationships get off on the right foot and be there with them to pray with them and, and uh, support them. So, yep. That's my question just real quick. Yeah. You said as that current has begun to start, does that look mostly like one-on-one discipleship kind of going out across the church, or are there other other ways? That's that's what we say. Ideally, that's what we're going for, one-on-one disciple-making. We have a large group gathering time on Sunday mornings. We have our small group ministries during the week, but that one-on-one stuff, that's what we're really trying to emphasize the most. So I'll add to that. That's what Dave's Church is doing. Right. NCM does not just one-on-one. There's triads, quads sometimes. So we're not particular about the method. Uh, what I talk about is we want to have the quality and depth of relationship with those that we're discipling the way that Jesus did with his men. So if we can have the quality and depth of one-on-one or one-on-two, one-on-three, whatever, that's what we're after. We're after the quality, not the quantity, at the discipling level. Um, I don't think we have time for more questions. Oh, we got one more. One more. One more. Okay. One more. One more. Just curious. Oh, yeah. This is excellent, by the way. Thank you both. Um, just curious about the content of what you actually resource or you create it yourself when you're talking about one-on-ones and continuous and timelines and goal setting if there's something that the team establishes and where can we get more resources on this? Great question. So, uh, discipleship.org, tons of resources. Uh, navigatorschurchministries.com or .org, we have both of those. A uh, lot of free resources there. Uh, we use the Ways of Alongside a lot, 2-7 series. Uh, somewhat, but what we've learned honestly is not about the resources of the curriculum. It's about how you use it and who's using it. Um, and so that's what we would we would say on that. It's not resource dependent. What we're trying to do is build people to become something that know how to move the principles of disciple making forward in their discipling relationships. That was awesome stuff from Pastor Dave, and I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I know it encouraged me a lot in my discipleship groups that I'm leading and the discipling relationships that I'm currently in. Hey, I just want to say it really means a lot to me that you take the time each week to listen to these podcast episodes. Makes me feel like we're doing something here. We're making a difference. And I want to ask you to click the subscribe button if you haven't already so that you can continually to use discipleship.org as a regular resource for you and your discipling relationships. Thanks so much, and I hope you have a great day.